Today on Rooted Daily, we talk about what biblical moderation looks like. Welcome to Rooted Daily, the podcast where in 10 minutes or less each day, we root you in the Bible so you can grow with God. I'm Brandon Levy, and today we're talking about why Christians need to practice moderation in our service to God. You know, we tend to like extremes. We like issues to be black and white. You're either with us or against us. Politics have been and increasingly are hyperpartisan. If you don't check the same box on election day as some people, you're as good as dead to them. There's no room for nuance or moderation. With our possessions, we see this too. People either strive for excess, define themselves by their stuff. They want all-you-can-eat buffets and walk-in closets the size of most small homes and never-ending binge-watching. Or people go for the opposite extreme where we find our sense of self-worth and how little we have or minimalism. We move into a tiny home and throw away the junk. But those efforts also don't live up to their promise. They rarely last for long. Minimalism proves to be just as disappointing and idle as abundance. We like those extremes, though, because they're straightforward. They seem clear-cut. But the problem is that God didn't design us to operate that way. God created a world of moderation, and trying to force extremes on it will not work out. The New Testament gives us an example that stands out where the religious authorities of the day traded in godly moderation for self-imposed rigidity. You know, their priorities, they didn't line up with God's, and when Jesus showed that moderation is sometimes required, they wanted to kill him. You know, Matthew chapter 12 tells us, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And he answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath day in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, He went into their synagogue, and a man with a a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And so he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. You know, this infuriated the Pharisees. They had built a worldview that demanded the rigid observance of rules. And here this upstart teacher comes along and not only does he not follow their rules, but he ridicules them for enforcing them. There's a part of this whole story that we cannot lose sight of, though. What the Pharisees were accusing Jesus of was not completely fabricated. They didn't pull this 
out of thin air. Some of the first words of God's law to Moses said, six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during the plowing season and harvest, you must rest in Exodus 34, 21. It was carved into stone for the Israelites not to work on the Sabbath. Even when that was a a significant inconvenience during the harvest, they were not to work. It was against the law to do work on that day. Jesus knew that. Jesus also knew the other commands of God and the example of his people. He knew that his father demanded mercy more fully than anyone else. That's why Jesus was here in the first place, to show us mercy. Put simply, Jesus knew that the people of God must practice moderation. I read a statement that summarized this idea pretty well. Inhabiting the middle ground between the vices of excess and austerity is the virtue of moderation. That's what Christ understood. He knew that the law of God often moderates itself. And when we take one law or another out of context, we can't understand God's will. That's why if you scroll back through the list of Rooted Daily episodes, you'll see several sets of seemingly contradictory concepts. God wants you to speak. We did an episode on that. And then we did an episode on why he wants us to stay silent. God asks us to use righteous judgment, but also not to judge. He says that sometimes our righteous acts should be visible to glorify him, and other times they should be done in secret. The very idea of being in the world, but not of the world, demands moderation. If you take a verse alone and try to discern what God wants us to do, it's easy to create a theology of extremes. But taken in context, God describes a faith of moderation. He has given us a comprehensive and sufficient pattern that can prepare us for any situation. They say that if all you have is a hammer, right, then all your problems look like nails. And the same thing is true with Bible study out of context. If we, re- if we rely on the whole of the Bible, then we have a, a whole toolbox full of solutions. That's why Christ was so forceful with the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12. He made it clear that moderation is the duty of anyone who wants to follow him. Let's conclude by separating biblical moderation from worldly moderation, though, because From what we've said so far, it might be easy to conclude that Christians can justify just about anything in the name of moderation. And truly, all sorts of unrighteousness has been promoted by people who tell us we should just be more moderate. Moderation is a virtue, but only when it's expressed in an appropriate context. And that's the context of things that God has declared lawful. Biblical moderation does not equate to wish-washy faith. That's why moderation seems like a dirty word to many, because worldly moderation is unprincipled, it's weak, and it's indecisive. It's a way for people who aren't willing to stand for anything to stand under the banner of pragmatism. Christians don't have time for that kind of watered-down, worthless religion. When it comes to sin, God is clear. His demand is complete abstinence. Paul writes in Ephesians 5.3, But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. It is not biblical and it's not moderate to be apathetic towards sin. Instead, Christian moderation 
can be modeled after Christ's example in Matthew chapter 12. First, Christ made it clear that what he did was in fact lawful. He pointed to the example of David and the priest to show that the Sabbath rest was no excuse to ignore physical needs. This wasn't something that Jesus was making up on the spot in the name of pragmatism. It was long-standing law that the Pharisees had become so rigid that they couldn't see anymore. Christ's example of moderation shows us that we can't simply ignore God's commands because we don't like their implications in the moment. Instead, he shows us that we should turn to all of God's word and challenge ourselves to see past our preconceived ideas to understand his will more fully. Second, Christ showed that the moderation God put into his word does not undermine its truth. In all of Matthew chapter 12, Jesus never said that the Sabbath or the rest that was ordinarily to be observed on that day was not important. He was with God when that command was carved into stone. Jesus affirmed the law of God and he operated within it. Some, again, in the name of moderation, will say that because Jesus said the commands of first importance were to love God and to love others, that those are the only commands that matter. Everything else can be safely ignored if it's for the sake of love. However, they wanted to find that in the moment. In this example with the Pharisees, though, Christ illustrated that just because a command is moderated in specific contexts does not mean it's just to be discarded. The Sabbath was still important. Christ wasn't saying that the Pharisees shouldn't have been observing it. All he said was that they should have recognized that other commands from God moderated its observance. God wanted his people to be merciful all the time, even if a need came up on the Sabbath. And the same principle remains true in this new covenant that we're living under. We are to be a loving and merciful people always. But God never intended that to eliminate the rest of his word. To love God and to love others, we must observe his commands, all of them. Our duty as Christians is to study the whole counsel contained in God's word, to understand that it doesn't just contain a hammer to solve all of our problems, but a whole toolbox. The moderation of the Bible shows us just how comprehensive God's word is, offering us a worldview that we can apply to any situation. That'll do it for this episode of Rooted Daily, and I'm looking forward to sitting down and talking with you next time. Hey there, thank you for listening through this episode of Rooted Daily. We think it's so important that you grow with Christ continually using the Word of God as your only foundation. That's why we release these episodes every weekday so you can root yourself daily in the Bible. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app so you don't miss us. And if you think a friend would benefit from hearing this good news, hit the share button. Most importantly, if you're ready now to take the next step, repent, be baptized, and hand over your life to Jesus, shoot me an email to brandon at rooteddaily.com.